This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Parsh Vayishach 5783, the Perak and Pasuk is Perak Lamed Vav Pasuk These are the children of Tzivon. Ve'aya ve'ano. There's Aya and Ano. Who Ano? Asher Motazim Bamibo. He is the Ano that found the Yemim in the desert, but also has Chamon and Lucy. While he was shepherding, taking care of the donkeys of Tzivon, his father. So the question is, why does it say Ve'aya when there's no first child mentioned over here? It says Ano, Ve'ano, because of Aya, but what's that? So I found six different answers to this question. The first one is Rashi. Rashi says the Vav is extra and should be read as Aya and Ano. And he gives two other examples of this where Vav is mentioned in different places when it doesn't have to be that way. And that's that. The Ibn Ezra says the exact same thing, claiming it's the same as a Fei Rafa in Arabic. I don't know what that means. Since it appears without a Vav in Divra Yamim, right? And it's like that. The Ramban says the same and gives a different proof for it. But none of them explain why the Pusik has an extra Vav. Meaning, okay, yeah, it could be done, but there's no reason for it to be done. So why exactly is there a Vav? So Rashi, the Ramban, the Ibn Ezra, none of them are explaining why there's an extra Vav there. However, both Targum Onkelos and Targum Yonason say the name is Ve'aya. That's his actual name. It's with the Vav, as if the Vav is part of the name. The Rashbam and the Bechor Shor, they say it's definitely part of the name, possibly by Anna as well. Their names were Fa'aya, Fa'aya, I don't know, something like that, and Ve'ana, like Fano, I guess. That's similar to Vavsi, that's mentioned by Mibbo Yudimul Yudalit, and Vashti. The Vav is part of the name itself. There can be something with the Vav in the front of their name. The fact that Divir Yaman mentions Ana without the Vav, and it is in Divir Yaman without a Vav itself, right, that's not a proof, because there are other names that are different from the way it is in the Torah itself, or that have added letters, missing letters from the Torah. So that's okay. Every proof that the Rishonim bring, right, in other words, the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra and Rashi, etc., they say that is an extra Vav. It's not a real proof, says the Rashbam, says the Sure. So it makes sense that these Vavin are part of their names, and his actual name was Faya. I think that would be a good way of putting it, Va'aya. So the Rokeach and the Rabbin Yol both say that there was a child that died before Aya was born, and then he was born afterward. Maybe he was named after him, and that's why it says Ve'aya, as if there was someone else born before him, somebody else there. Maybe he was even named for him. And they added the Vav to his name to differentiate between him and his older brother that died. There was an Aya that died, and his name was Ve'aya, the second Aya that was there. That's why there's a difference between the Torah and Divar Yom. The Divar Yom is referring to the first brother that was born, maybe an actual whatever. And this Aya is referring to the one that actually lived. The Radak says from his father that Sivon had other children that were born before Aya and Anna. But they weren't as important as these two. These two, Aya and Anna, were the most important. That's why there's a Vav here to hint that there were other children, ve'aya, ve'ana, but there were other people as well. And there were other children that were born as well. I count that as one big answer. So again, we have Rashi's answer, the Ramba, Ramban and the Ibn Ezra, that the Vav is extra. We have Targum Unkos, Targum Yonis, and Rashbam and the Bechor Shur that seem to say the Vav is part of the name itself. We have the Rokech, the Rabbin Yol, and the Redak, that there was another brother, whether it was Aya or somebody else or whatever it was, somebody that wasn't important. Either way, that's the idea of him. The Barabbas said a fourth answer. It's possible that Aya was actually the second born. Anna was older than him, that Aya and Anna should be switched. But because we wanted to hint that Anna was a mamzer, right, and we talked about that before, earlier in the Parsha, it talked about how Anna, etc., he is placed second with the Vav in front of Aya to indicate that he was not the oldest. 
and that's the idea why. That's why he was put over here to be able to say such a thing, to be able to indicate he's not the oldest. So Vi'aya, the Ana, really Ana is older than Aya. And that's why he's that way. Another answer, or fifth answer, is given by the Nativ, who says that Sivon actually adopted his younger brother Ana. I'm not going to go into this whole thing now, but there is a whole issue of Mamzerus of who exactly Ana is the child of. Is Ana the child of Seir, or is he the child of Sivon? Was Sivon together with his mother, and therefore Ana was technically his own brother and father? We'll talk about that. But either way, it seems so quoted in the that Sivon adopted him and treated him as his own son and raised him when his real son was Aya. Because Anna was technically older than Aya, but Anna was only his brother, right? His letter Vav was put before Aya to say he wasn't the oldest, Anna was the oldest, but he was the only son of Sivon because Anna was not the natural son of Sivon. He was, he was only adopted by him. Olivama is also known as the daughter of Anna and the daughter of Sivon. This may be because she grew up in Sivon's home along with Anna. So he gets around the whole Mamzerus issue and says they were just raising each other because that was what they did in, their, in those days by the people of Esau. That's what they ended up doing. Now, the Rabbeinu Yol says this Pusik is telling us that they were all together with one another. Tzivon was Mizana with other wives of the people, you know, even of his father, of his grandson, etc. Right? Well, Aya did the same and Anna as well. So you have to read it as the Vinay Tzivon Ve'aya Ve'ana. These children were Tzivon's and Aya's and Anna's and they were all the children of them together. Not that Anna and Aya were both the children of Sivon. It's that all of them were Mizana, one after the other. And that's what the Vav indicates. The indication that Aya and Anna were just as guilty as Sivon was when it came to Znus within the families. And that's how the Rabbin Yoel puts it. And those are our six answers as to why it says Vav in the beginning of the word Ve'aya when it doesn't need to belong there. It doesn't belong that way. Okay, so why does the Pasuk then say that Anna is the one who found the Yemen? Was there another Anna that we need to know about? And the Rashbam says there is. There was another Anna. His uncle... Sivon's brother, right, who was mentioned earlier. This Anna was younger than him and was known for finding the Yemim, right, but there was another Anna, his uncle, who was Sivon's brother, and that was a different person. Now, Rashi, on the other hand, says, no, 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 that Anna is this Anna. He is the brother of Sivon, and he is the son of Sivon. Why? Because there was a lot of immorality and Znus going on in Esau's family. Sivon was together with his own mother, and therefore, Anna, his child, was also technically his brother because they came from the same mother. That's how Rashi says her. Everyone thought it was Seir's son, right? Sivon's father's son, Anna. But it wasn't, says the Torah. It was really the child of Sivon through Znus. That's what Rashi says her. The Gurai says Rashi understood it from the word who. Who Anna? This is the same Anna that we met before. The same Anna who's the brother of Sivon is the same Anna who's the son of Anna, of, of Sivon over here. We never met anyone who found Yemim, but we have seen another person with the name of Anna, and that's the same person that we mentioned right over here. They're all one and the same. The Medrash Seichel Tov points out that both Sivon and Anna and Aya, Sivon and Aya, were both named for Tame animals. Sivon was named after Tzavoa, a hyena, I guess it could be a hyena. It's something like that. It's Savoa. While the Aya is a vulture of some sort that's mentioned among the 24 birds that are tummy, the 20 and 21 birds, whatever. But that shows that both of them were very tummy people. That shows what kind of people they were, that they weren't good people in the first place. Now, since Chami wonders how Rashi knows that this was Sivon's son, maybe Seir, Sivon's father, was together with his daughter-in-law, Sivon's wife, and gave birth to Anna. Maybe it was Seir who messed up. Seir was together with his own daughter-in-law. He says it's logical to assume the worst of Sivon, because we see later Later on, that team was together with his daughter-in-law, Anna's wife. 
If so, it's likely that he was just a terrible person. He was together not only with his own daughter-in-law, but he was also together with his mother, even though in theory you could have assumed it was Anna who's together with his own mother and not even with his daughter-in-law. But there's a lot more here in the Sitzchamim about which one is which. But Sitzchamim, that's the idea behind it. Now, the truth is, this is brought down by all the Rishonim. I'm not going to go into the whole big issues. And the Moshe of Zakein and Rechaim Paltiyah, all the Balitos ask these questions and say, who was together with who and what time? And why was it Sivon? Maybe it was the women who did the wrong thing, etc. They all ask these questions. It's Tzarech Ian at the end of the day from the Moshe of Zakein. Nobody knows exactly. There's a Torah Shlema number 39 that explains it quite a bit, but a lot of information and a lot of questions that come out at the end. Who was together with who? The assumption, according to Rashi, is that Sivon was the one who was evil. He was together with those, his own mother, and then he was together with his own daughter-in-law, Anna's mother, and then Anna's wife, etc., and that's what happened over here. We're going to go with that. That's the easiest way. There is a Tosos. Tosos and Babalas, or Kuptas Babalas, says that this Anna was actually a girl, even though the Pasuk says, who Anna, and who obviously refers to a boy itself, it's likely that he's known, she is known as a he because of the property, the property that his, that she inherited from her father slash brother, Tzivon, when he passed away. Now, how could she inherit property from her father, Tzivon, if Aya was certainly a brother and Aya was born before him? So it must be, says Tosa, that Aya died. She was the only child of Tzivon, so she inherited all the property of Tzivon as if she was a boy, and therefore the Pasuk used the word who by her. That doesn't work like the Rokeach, right? But we see there an opinion that Aya actually died, right? That's going to work out somewhat well. The Balotosva, the Balotosva argue on these points and say it could be that Anna was a grandson of Tzivon in some way, probably through Amzeris again, and we Paskin B'nei Banamari and Kambanim, and therefore he's considered like Tzivon's son, and therefore he went ahead and inherited. But nonetheless, Tosas comes out with the Shita that Anna was a girl. I don't know if that's the Anna that we mentioned before, who's known as the brother of Tzivon. That might not be. That could be the son of Sayer. But this Anna was a girl, according to that Shita and Tosfos. So we have a totally different opinion of what it was. But that brings us to the best part of this year, which is, what are the Yemim exactly? These Yemim that he found. What exactly are we talking about? So I'm going to give a bunch of different answers, six different answers to this question. So I had six before and six now. So this is what we have up here. Rashi says that there were mules. There were mules. Now, a mule is formed by having a donkey and a horse together. If you have male donkeys and female horses, or female horses and, uh, and I'm sorry, female ho- donkeys and male horses, you're going to have a mule, different types. The Gemara says it's different in the ears and stuff, and stuff different ways. But nonetheless, that's what a mule is. Now, he was the one who did that. He was the first person to put together, specifically, as Rashi says, a male donkey with a female horse. And they gave birth to the world's first mule, he says. He himself was a mamzer. So it makes sense that he brought mamzerus into the world. He was a mamzer himself because Sivan Avus was together with his mother. So therefore, he brought a mamzer into the world from two different animals, completely from different areas. This is what happens, explains the Abarba now. Puzzle people bring about puzzle things in the world. He was such a terrible person, he only could bring more puzzle things into the world. Why were they called Yemen then? What's the word Yemen? You could just say parrot. Parrot is the word for mule. Why not say a parrot itself? Rashi says it's because people were afraid of them from the word Ema. There was a fear of them. Apparently, there's a certain type of mule called a pirda levana, a white mule or white-legged mule. If they bite a person, they either cause death or, at the very least, a permanent wound. Rabbi Hanina wrote one time was said he would never eat. He he would never he never knew someone to live from one of these bites. He didn't know anybody who was able to live from them or to be healed from them. The Yamalays says it could be because they were created beister, so therefore that's why they were considered dangerous. But that's a strange thing. We don't see that mule bites are any dangerous, more dangerous than anything 
anything else in the world. But regardless, that's how the Miyam always puts it. Now the Gemara tells us in Chulin Davzayin that Pinchas ben Yoyer would never eat by people's houses. He never ate by people's houses. Rabbi Yudanasi invited him to eat by him. So why Rabbi Pinchas ben Yoyer was there was a different story altogether, crossing the river, etc. And he agreed, Rabbi Pinchas ben Yoyer agreed to eat by Rabbi. Rabbi was super happy and he said, it's a problem. Like sometimes I get invited out and the person doesn't have the ability to, you know, he doesn't have the means, so I feel bad taking money from him. Or he doesn't really want to invite me. You happen to have the means and you're a Talmud Chacham, so you wanted to invite me, so therefore I understood. And he went to his house, he went to Rabbi's house, and when he came back, he went to go do Pinyon Shuim. On his way back, he came back and he saw that there were these dangerous mules that were in Rebbe's yard. And he said, how can he buy a person when the Malach HaMavis is in his position? It's a little bit of a different story in the, the Yerushalmi, but basically similar. No matter what Rebbe said or did, he wouldn't go back. Rebbe, Rebbe Pinchas Benyar would not go back. Rebbe was very upset about it. He said, oh, if I, if I can't see them in this world, what's going to be with me in the next world, etc. There clearly was a stigma against owning them, these types of these types of mules, even in those times. Maybe Rebbe was so rich, he didn't even know that he owned them. right? But the idea that there was something regarding this, and that's maybe why they were called Yemen. They were fearsome. They were fearsome creatures. This is based on Yushami Brachos Parachas Halachei, where the Rabbanans say that Yemen are half horses and half donkeys. And that's the idea of what Rashi is saying over here. Half horses, half donkeys. That's what it is. The Ibn Ezra says it makes sense. Considering the rest of the Pasuk says pretty much that. He was taking care of his father's donkeys. Why do we need to know that? If not for the fact that the Yemim happened to do with donkeys. They are donkeys together with horses. That's the whole point. That's why the Pasuk brings them up in the first place. It's Ibn Ezra. It's a really push up shot and why Rashi brings it up that way. Targum Yonason seems to say the exact same thing. He puts together Arodim, which I always thought were wild donkeys, right? With Asonos, which I thought were female donkeys. And he calls them mules. I'm not sure exactly why a wild donkey together with a female donkey would be that way. However, there are different types of wild horses, especially we have today. We have Shavalsky's horse, which is not spelled the way you think it is, right? It's like a PRV or something like that inside there. It's, it's like a Polish spelling. Somebody who is Polish founded, etc. So Shavalsky's horse, as well as the Somali wild ass. I, I'm not sure exactly the difference between those and horses and donkeys. They're very similar to each other. Perhaps that's the idea behind it, what the you shall meet, what the Targum Yonason is saying over here. But either way, they came out with a mule in some way, shape, or form, right? Maybe the Arod is referring to the Somali wild ass, which is technically, technically a horse, right, that was together with a donkey. And maybe that's the idea behind it, and that, that works out, and that's what he says. So it seems to be like Rashi. The Ramban says, we know that there are many species that don't mix with one another. You can't just mix, like, a lion and an elephant. It doesn't work that way. Animals don't go that way. Even if you try to do it in a lab, it's not going to work. Very few times can you even find something that's going to fit each other within the lab itself, right? So he had a, quite a few. Apparently, this was either done by accident or he realized what he could do. He had quite a few donkeys, male donkeys, that wanted to be together, but he didn't have enough females. But he did have female horses. So maybe he put them together and he realized that that thing would have there. And maybe he realized this chacham, but he didn't realize this chacham. Either way, he came out with mules and the mules were there and he was known for doing this. And that's the idea of what Anna was. That's how the Ramban puts it over there. The Rukach says, of course, you got to have a gematria for this. Asher Matzah Esayemim Bamidbor is the gematria of 81386, 1386, which is the same gematria of Shahu Hirvia Sus Al Now, it sounds amazing, right? It just happens to be it's off by two. So, of course, I did the, the gematria myself. But either way, Shahu Hirvia Sus Al Chamorva Hotsimehem Kilaim is the same as Asher Matzah Esayemim Bamidbor. That's how the Rukhaya puts it, so you get something. Fine. The problem with this answer of Rashi is pointed out by the Chizkuni. In Parshas Toldos, Perik Yud Chavav, Pasuk Yud Gimel, it says that people used to talk about Yitzchak Avinu, that he had mules whose dung was worth more than gold. Mules, it says specifically. Mules, says Rashi. Clearly, mules existed before Anna discovered them, right? It's clear that there were mules before, because Yitzchak had it. 
So maybe he was the first person to put the two animals together, but there were mules already that existed from horses and donkeys that got together before, and they just didn't know where they came from. It could be that it was a random donkey that had a baby with a random horse that fell in love with each other, and they had a little baby, and that's that. But maybe no, nobody knew how that came about, and Anna was the first person who realized how to make more of them. That's the idea. That's a possibility. That's how the Chizkuri puts it over there. And that's what Matzah could mean. Matzah could mean he figured out what needs to be done in order to get it. Perhaps he figured this out through trial and error. Maybe he had a Right? Maybe he figured out the smaller ears and the larger ears things like we mentioned before. Which one? The male donkey and the female donkey, etc. I don't know. There are other answers to this question, though. The Rebbe Yudah Chassid says that this Pasuk really should say Zevel Predosov. Not Zevel Pirdosov, which sounds like the the manure of his donkeys, but this is the manure of his pigeons. Predosov is like, you know, little pigeons and domestic birds. Maybe the dung of those domestic birds was worth more than gold, but not referring to mules because there were no, no mules yet. That's how Rabbi Yudachasid puts it. Torah Tamima quotes a Tosus in Bab Metzia Peyam and Aleph where it says the text should be the dung of the animals of Yitzchak, not the mules. So Rashi had a, a text of mules, but maybe it, the real text, according to Tosus, should be the animals animals and not the actual mules themselves. Now, there's another problem, though. Here, are these really the first mules? There's a Gemara in Pesachim, Dafnun which says that other region created the first mule. The Gemara says right over there in the name of Rabbi Yossi, there were two things that should have been created in Erev Shabbos, on Erev Shabbos, right before Shabbos started, but instead, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Adam Das, Adam region Das, to be able to create them himself after Shabbos. He created ore by putting two flints together, rocks together, and creating some type of fire, and he put created mules by putting two two animals together. So that's a Chachma that he gave him. Roshim Gamliel argues that the first mule came from Anna. That's how Roshim Gamliel argues and says that Dor Shechamru says he was a puzzle. He created the first puzzle animal, right? Because he was obviously a mamzer, etc. How could the Dor Shechamru say something puzzle? Where Rabbi Yossi said there was a chachma that was given to Adam Rishon by HaKadosh Baruch Hu? That's a bit of a question, right? At least the Gemara brings it up and then it's a machlokas whether Anna was the first person or Adam Rishon was the first person. But if the whole reason why Anna was the first person is because he was a puzzle and he brought about puzzle things into the world, how could you say that Adam Rishon was a puzzle? HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him the chachma to do it. Clearly there was a reason for it. So the Yahu, which is the Ben Ishkai, says that Adam brought two animals of the same min together, and a Kodesh Baruch allowed a mule to come from them so it would exist in the world, since in Kol Chodesh Tachas Only later on was a mule created through the separation of a, of, well, separation, through the combination of a horse and a donkey, but in the times of Adam Rishon, he just put two random animals together that happened to be of the same min and came out with a mule, which obviously was a well, I guess we finally have a raya to, uh, to uh, uh, what's it called, to um, uh, Darwin and his theory of evolution, because technically it happened on the first day of creation. Either way, he called it a pered because it became sterile in some language that he knew back then, whatever the language would be right over there. It could also be that the din of Kalim didn't apply by HaKadosh Baruch and what happened by the Shishim Eberashis. So therefore, they were since all the animals that were created during the six days of creation were not born from mothers, they all were their own first animal, then maybe you would say, right, they're born from the ground, so they're all the same mother, and therefore they could mix with each other, and there was no problem with it, and therefore you could come out with a mule, and it wouldn't be usher. So other Mauritian was allowed to have a horse and a donkey go together to be able to make a mule, but from that point on, it would be usher, and therefore nobody did it until Anna came around and did it himself, and he was able to do it himself, and he figured it out after the mobble, the first person after the mobble to be able to put it together. That's the idea behind it, which is a great answer for the Bini Ofen the Benishai, both answers. The Chizkuni wonders why mules are not able to procreate with one another. And the truth is that it depends on the mule. Some mules are able to have babies. Other mules are not. Some are sterile. Some, I think it's like 85% or something like that that are not able to 
that are all sterile, but there are some that are able to. He says that a Baruch Hu was never happy with these creatures, if there's such a thing. He never wanted to have these mamzerim because it has to be from two different minim. So therefore, he made sure that they wouldn't have children. It's also possible they were not included in the bracha of Puravu. Every animal had a bracha of Puravu that a Baruch Hu gave them after they came off of the Teva itself, right? And therefore, they didn't have the ability to create children because they weren't part of that bracha, because they weren't created at the time. They didn't come off the Teva. They were only brought about once horses and donkeys were together, and therefore, there is no ability for them to give birth. Therefore, they're sterile. Again, we just said some mules do have the ability to give birth. Maybe that's a little bit different. I don't know. But it is possible. I, I always thought this way, that that was the norm before the Teva, and that two minim were able to have children before that time. That might have changed afterward. And after the Mabu was there, Kaddish Baruch was like, I'm not going to let two minim be together with one another. They have to be extremely similar to one another in order to have a baby. Now we only have very, very similar animals that are able to procreate with one another. I've always thought that if you could get around the carbon dating issue, that somehow could explain some of the dinosaurs. Obviously, the carbon dating issue was an issue. But I, I, if there's a way of understanding the Mabel caused some type of rift in the earth that allowed carbon to be able to, you know, become an extreme difference of what it was beforehand, or there's something wrong with the carbon dating that I don't understand because I, I, I see it as, as it is. But is there a way that the dinosaurs were just mamzerim between reptiles, birds, and maybe even giant humans? And that's the idea. I mean, there's no question the Tyrannosaurus Rex look like a little freak with its tiny little hands. So is it possible that that tiny little freakazoid, right, which we call a Tyrannosaurus, is somehow the combination? of a human being and a reptile that were together that before the mobile that was actually happening I, I don't know I, I obviously haven't seen this anywhere so it's hard to be able to say such a thing but nonetheless it does seem like maybe that would explain some of the mythical creatures if they ever existed that that's how they would be right over there right in there but again it's hard to say this and obviously there are other better answers for why dinosaurs are here on this earth one of them being because well, how else would we have fossil fuels so thank you Akash Baruch for giving us, giving us dinosaurs that really helps me with my car I'm very happy with my car so maybe there are other reasons for it however the Ibn Ezra says it's not mules. It's not mules. He says it refers to Giborim. The Yemim are Giborim, these strong men, these giants that are called Amim in Parsha Devarim and Parag Beis. Targumonkola says the exact same thing. It's giants. He calls them Giboraya. Right? Rabbi Yol says the Yud here is a bit strange, hinting to this, because it does say Yemim, right? It's a little bit strange why you have that Yud right over there, and it hints to this idea. Maybe there's something wrong with the Yud. The Rabbi Yol kind of hints that there's like a tag on it or something. Regardless, that's referring to this, and not mules. It's referring to strong men. So the Ramban explains then what happened. If it is strong men, here's what happened. These huge giants came up to him while he was in the middle of nowhere, they tried stealing his donkeys. It's his father's donkeys. There was no one else to help him. He was the one by himself taking care of his father's donkeys. He was on his own, but he fought them, was able to save his father's donkeys. From this point on, he was known as a gibor himself, and everyone praised him for his tremendous strength because he was the gibor that fought off the Yemen. Those people were so fearsome that everybody else was afraid of them. He fought them off and saved his father's donkeys by himself. Maybe that's a shot, and that's Eddie Bannon. Moshe's Canaan says the word matzah can also mean hika, right? That he defeated them, he beat them. We find this until you should be able to beat with your hand all of your enemies, which clearly means theater destroyed. The Chidah says the exact same thing, and I found it in a few different places as well. So that's the means that he hit the Yemen. He destroyed the Yemen. He fought the Yemen. And that's that. That's how the Moshe's Kingdom says it. The Rashbam and the Panech Razo both say this as well, but adds that he either fought the Giborim and adds on maybe Chayos Ros and defeated them. Lefipshuto, there's no reason to be medakic more than that, says the Rashbam, but it's either that, either the Giborim, or the the Chayos rows that are out there. Now, the same Yerushalmi that we quoted up above that referred to mules has another answer from Rabbi Huda ben Simon, right, who says that they are Hamunas. What is Hamunas? What is that word exactly? The Pnei Moshe is one of the Perushim on the Yerushalmi says. They're large men 
that looks strange. Freaks, freaks. Giboraya, it could very well be the Amim, the giants. No giants look normal, we know that. If you have gar gar uh, gigantism, right, and that's a disease, everything looks a little strange. The face looks a little strange, the hands look a little strange. It's possible for that to be referring to over here as well. They were large and they were almost like in a freak show and that's what these people were like. They didn't have the ability to take down the pituitary gland like we have now, so people just kept growing in a weird way and that's what they were. These people that would have been in, in circuses in the early 1900s, right? You know, whatever it was, those are the people over here. But Torah to Mima says the word means mule in Greek. Hamiunis is mule in Greek. I didn't look up ancient Greek, I'm sorry, but I believed Rav Epstein on that one. So both answered that you shall me go together, and that's a possibility that it's referring to this, it's Hamiunis. But I will tell you, I found the most unbelievable medrash, and I will tell you, I will preface this by saying I do not understand it. I'm not positive I fully understand it, but this is what the medrash says. Seder Adoros and Sefer Yasher say something, and they say the following. Anna brought his father's donkeys to a remote area into a desert that was close to the Yamsuf. A strong wind came, began to blow from the sea, that caused the donkeys to stand in their place and not move. Out of nowhere, 120 large, fearsome beasts came near the donkeys, right? Sort of like how the Rashbam and the Paneach Raza says, Giborim or Chayos Rose. Their bottom halves looked human, while their top halves looked like bears or monkeys. In one version, I saw porcupines, kipud. But either way, with large bird tails, like a hoopo birds, it sounds like, that began near their shoulders and went down all the way to the middle of their back itself, right? It went down to the ground. They ran up to the donkeys, these 120 big strong men, and they began to ride them away from Anna. One of the beasts approached Anna and hit him with his tail. And Anna ran away as fast as he could. He told his father and his brothers what he found. They went to go find the creatures, they couldn't find them. Shockingly, right? It doesn't sound like a drunken story at all, or like a drug-induced story. From that point on, his family would never go near that area, and they called them the Yemen, but they never found them ever again. These humanoid creatures, you know, half-animal, half-human creatures, right, whether they were ox, bear, or whatever it is, right, they were the ones who ended up stealing all this stuff and took them away, and all the donkeys were gone, and they called them Yemen. Again, I hear it, because if you're dealing with the Amim, who are the giants, and giants look a little freaky. I can understand how a person could might mistake that, especially if they're fully hairy, to look like animals on top and human beings on the bottom. The fact that the only person who is made that this happened is Anna, <laughs> and he's a mamzer who's born from mamzeris beyond mamzeris beyond mamzeris throughout Asa's family, doesn't bode well for the truth of this story. But I don't know what the point of the medrash is. I don't know what the point of this medrash is. Usually a medrash is there to be able to teach you something, and I'm not sure what exactly it's trying to teach you, other than the fact that he fought Giborim. This takes a little little bit of work and I unfortunately do not have an answer as to what exactly this message is talking about tried a little hard I just I got to think about it some more the Tzoramor says it refers to Shadim and Mazikin that are found in deserts and desolate areas based on the Zohar itself since they were created Arab Shabbos Ben Ashmasho similar to mules that's a little crazy right or at least the mules were Motsu Shabbos they're considered like they're missing something therefore they're called Yemim without the Yud in the end it's Yud Mem Mem without the second Yud as if they're missing something right from the first six days of creation that's the idea. Anna was a mamzer, and he brought more shadim into the world. How did he do that? Who knows? Is this through some form of Sheikh Lazar Levatala that he caused shadim to be into the world? Is it from some type of tuma that he brought into the world? We don't know, but the Zohar says as if they belong to two different days, these shadim. They belong to Friday, they belong to Shabbos. That's what it means by Benashmash. It's like in between the two days. They're really not considered a part of either day. They can therefore change forms whenever they want, and this is what Anna found. Anna found the ability to converse, maybe to 
deal with to be able to create these types of demons, and that's what he was able to create. Yalku Ravini number 164 says they were ready to dress up in physical bodies in order to do things in this world, to be able to make things, and they're the ones, they're, I guess they're, they're possibly teaching them how to bring mamzers into this world, seemingly combining the idea with the mules up above, maybe that's what he's saying. Anyone who fears that Kaddish Baruch should not be afraid of them, especially if they learn Torah, says Yalku Ravini, you have nothing to worry about. And our final answer is from the Ibn Ezra, which mentions in passing, he says there are those who say this refers to a certain type of plant, right? But the psukim don't make much sense in that context. He doesn't even quote where he gets that from. It's probably one of the Pashtun of his times who ended up making something up, and who knows that the Yemen refer to. Rev. Aryeh Kaplan says the Vulgate, which is the Latin version of the Bible made in the 4th century by St. Jerome, translates the word as hot springs, while the Syriac, which is a Western dialect of Aramaic in which many Christian texts were preserved. I looked both of those up, by, by the way, the Vulgate and the Syriac, says water or springs, but there's no support for any of this in Jewish sources. We don't have anything like that. The Septuagint leaves it untranslated. That's the St. James Bible, who obviously that's where the 72 Zakanim got together by Ptolemy and put together the Torah that we have, you know, the translation of the Torah that's mentioned in Megillah and Daphches, I think. I don't remember exactly. The Septuagint leaves it untranslated, just calls them Miamim. So who knows what this is? But in the end of the day, we see that this is one of the things that Asaph has. Asaph was apostle. He had a child named Anna who's apostle. He created Psulim. Whatever this Psulim is, whether it's Shadim, whether it's giant, or the, the fighting of the giants, whether it's referring to some creatures, whether it's referring to the mules, it means that Asaph brought about only two months of this world. Nothing good came from Asaph. That's the point of this entire passage. Have a good job, everyone.